0: People of God, let's turn in God's Word to the first book of the Bible, Genesis 17 and 22. Genesis 17, page 14, and then Genesis 22. Genesis 17, 1 through, 1 through 8. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty, or ill should I. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. And then if you turn a few chapters later to Genesis 22 Abraham has been called to offer his son Isaac on the altar in Mount Moriah. And then God stays his hand at the last minute through the voice of the angel of the Lord. He finds a ram in the thicket. God provides the sacrifice. in Genesis 22, verse 14, Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, or Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And then, verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. If you just turn back again, congregation, to chapter 17, verses 4, 5, and 6. Chapter 17. 4, 5, and 6, and God said to him, to Abram, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Is God's word, may He bless us by it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes covenant and missions are pulled apart from each other as two different things. On the one hand, we see covenant. God established his covenant with Abraham and his descendants for a thousand generations, says Psalm 105. That means forever. It's a perfect number meaning forever. A thousand generations. And so we're called to pass down the message of God's covenant to our descendants, generation after generation after generation. In Psalm 78, we read, We'll not hide them, God's covenant teaching will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. But we sometimes ignore or marginalize the other direction God's covenant is intended to go, not only down through the generations, but also out. To the nations. In fact, sometimes we even speak of these as two separate tracks in God's plan. You've got covenant, and you've got missions. And they're two tracks. But in Scripture, covenant is inherently missional, brothers and sisters. It goes both down to succeeding generations, and it goes out to the nations, because our father Abraham is the father of many nations. For a thousand generations, God's covenant with him will stand down and out. Covenant is inherently both generational and missional. They belong together. They can't be divided. And when we try to, we become anti-covenantal. If we're generational but not missional, we're anti-covenantal. If we're missional but not generational, we're anti-covenantal. And so we want to focus this afternoon on the missional dimension of God's covenant. And our identity and calling as Abraham's missionary children. Abraham's missionary children are, we see three things here. A covenant people, a multinational people, and a fruitful people. A covenant people, and God said to Abram, Behold, my covenant is with you. When Abram was 99 years old, and he and Sarah were still childless, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And then he added this promise. This covenant will be made not just with Abram; That it wouldn't just begin and end with him. As an individual. But when he says, behold, my covenant is with you. He explains that further in verse 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and you. And your offspring after you. Throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. It will be made with Abraham and his descendants. This promise, "I will be your God and the God of your children." What a promise. Through Abraham, God is building a household, a family for himself, across the generations, throughout your generations for an everlasting covenant. Think about that. It's such an amazing promise, and there's so much to get in the way. And yet God will preserve that till the end. For a thousand generations it will stand. What a forward-looking perspective. This binding covenant of God with his people to be our God and take us as his children. It's just going to keep going and going and going and going through generation after generation and gener- after generation forever and forever until the Lord returns. It's, a, it's an everlasting line of promise. In Psalm 105, let me just quote from that. We read, God remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. And then 2,000 years later, when Jesus comes into the world, is the covenant still alive in spite of all the mess in church history? The unfaithfulness of God's people. The persecution from the world around them. Mary, when she becomes pregnant with the Messiah, magnifies the God of the covenant. Listen to her song in Luke 1. God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to her fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. It's still going. At the end of the Bible, God's covenant is still going when we get to the new heavens and the new earth. In Revelation 21, listen, John hears a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That's the covenant promise. I'll be with you as your God. You are my people. It comes to a successful finish and climax at the end of the world. It keeps going and going and going. Abraham's household, his family, will be successfully built over thousands and thousands of years, over a thousand generations. It will not die out. Why? It's a testament to God's covenant power. Remember that dependable duo of God, his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Those are twinned so often through the Bible. It's because of the steadfast love and his faithfulness that it keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And in 2023, there's a family named John and Jocelyn Westerhoff and their five children who are in that covenant. How could it be? you look at who we are and you look at the persecutions And you look at Satan's assaults, a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. And you look at the sin that lives in us, in the mind and in the flesh. And you look at the wars and the bombs and the missiles. And you look at the passage of time and how things grow old and wear out and civilizations rise and they die. You say, how could there still be a family of Abraham? It's like 2000 BC, now it's 20, it's just 4,000 years ago. And actually started with Adam and Eve in the garden. It's just formally and officially established with Abraham. How could it be? Well, it's all guaranteed and secured in Christ. All that would destroy the covenant, all that would destroy us, Jesus came as the security and the sponsor. And he took that all, all the curses, and he made them his own, and he destroyed them so they can't destroy the people of the covenant. And we get instead blessings for thousands, for a thousand generations. Jesus himself is the center And the focus and the guarantee of the covenant. He's the one who makes real that central promise of the covenant. I will be your God. What does that mean? The central promise of that binding oath of God. That formally established legal relationship of God with his people. The center of that is I will be your God. It means everything. If God gives you himself, Matthew Henry says, you have all the privileges of the covenant. All its joys and all its hopes are summed up in this promise, I will be your God. A man needs desire no more than this to make him happy. You believe that, John and Jocelyn? You need no more than that to be happy. I am your God. Faith (laughs) grabs that promise. You're feeling unfulfilled and unhappy and disappointed. You need to run back to the fountain. I will be your God. To go on what Matthew Henry says, a man needs desire no more than this to make him happy. What God is himself, that he will be to his people. His wisdom is theirs to guide and counsel them. His power is theirs to protect and support them. His goodness is theirs to supply and comfort them. I will be your God and you get the promised land. You get to have my land, God says. And Canaan was just a, a tiny type of this. But Abraham, we read in Hebrews 11, was really looking forward to a greater land. A heavenly city whose builder and architect is God. And now in 2023, Naomi gets to be included in this covenant, which actually started with Adam and Eve and was formally established with Abraham. And she gets to be included in this line of promise, this household of Abraham. She gets to become part of this story of the generations. Because this story of the covenant is not ultimately the story of Abraham's biological children but for all believers and their households through time and space. And so because Jonathan and Jocelyn are believers, their five children are also included in God's covenant people. And as they grow up, you must instruct them in God's covenant and teach them his ways. Teach them to hold on to this God and his promises by faith. And then through faith, Through faith, the next generation, John and Jocelyn's grandchildren. And the next generation, grandchildren. And the next will also be included in God's covenant people until Jesus comes back. So dear people, don't let this story stop through your unbelief. You cut yourself off from the line of promise. You say, I don't want this God, I don't want this life. There's better stuff out there for me. No, there's not. It's just a choice I make for me. No, you condemn then the generations to come to unbelief and damnation and hell. You're saying, I want the curses rather than Christ who bore the curse for me. Oh, no. No. By faith. Take hold of this promise made to Abraham and his descendants for an everlasting covenant. I will be your God and the God of your children. Rest in Christ the security and guarantee of the covenant for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of a new life and become part of that eternal household that will celebrate God forever with all the people of God and the new creation, heaven on earth will be all together as God's beautiful international family. Well, let's see secondly, Abraham's missionary children are a multinational people. Abraham's children belong to a people. That is what Abraham's name means. They belong to a people That is what Abraham's name means, father of many nations. Ab means daddy, father. Rah means multitudes, father of multitudes. And God explains that, multitudes of peoples, multitudes of nations. So covenant children are taught not only to think generational, thousand generations, forever and ever, down through history, till Jesus returns, but also to think outward. Many nations. I'm part of a multinational people. We read that. Again, look at verses four and five. God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations part of our covenant identity as God's children, beloved. That we're a household whose daddy, Abraham, will be fruitful, multiply, and father a multitude of nations. Back in chapter 12, when God first spoke to Abraham, first recorded words to Abraham, God says, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth, all the tribes, all the people groups of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So covenant, brothers and sisters, is inherently generational and inherently multinational. God's covenant people are in all nations or is an all nations household, a family from all nations, through Abraham's biological descendants, or though Abraham's biological descendants were often ethnically obsessed. We heard about that from the book of Jonah this summer. Ethnically obsessed with their own nationality. We can be that way. Abraham wasn't. He was a multinational man and the father of world missions. Here's what we got to remember. God chose the Jews not because of their race, but because of his grace. They were not a better people than anybody else. He chose the Jewish people not because of their race, but because of their grace. And he didn't choose the others not because of their race, but because of their sin. That's not a racist. But he chose the Jewish people, not because of the race, but because of his grace, in order to go to all all the other nations and save them by his grace, too, through the preaching of the gospel, by faith in Jesus Christ. And, And so when Israel, in the future, became ethnically obsessed, it was totally against their identity as God's covenant people. And when we become obsessed with our own ethnicity or our own nation and become nationalistic, that's not how God's people think. That's not covenantal thinking. From all nations, from all nations, God has gathered a people and he has put us in that family to think, not Ethnically, not nationally, but globally. But how would this be? How could Abraham have so much power that in you, Abraham, all the nations of the earth, the people groups will be blessed? Really, is Abraham that good of a man? Is that powerful? No, because when you look further, like we read in Genesis 22... That word you develops into something more. In your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All the families. of the earth. In your offspring, oh, you mean all his people? No, no, because that offspring is singular. He will possess the gates of his enemies, Genesis 22. That offspring is a he. Then you realize, oh, The power of this multinational people that brings together from all nations one family is the single offspring of Abraham, Jesus Christ. He was the ultimate multinational. He's called the Savior of the world. And he said when he was about to die, And I, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Jesus ethnically was a Jew. But as a Jew, he looked beyond himself to gathering a family from all nations and to be the fulfillment of the promise God made to Abraham, I will make you the father of many nations. Jesus saw God's plan and purpose to gather people from all the tribes of the earth to worship God, and he gave his life to that plan. He's the ultimate multinational And you know those words in Revelation 5. John catches a glimpse of the result of God's covenant plan. He sees the 24 elders fall down before the Lamb. Revelation 5 verse 3, And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And listen, by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation." And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then in Revelation 7, John says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude, nobody could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, palm branches in their hands, crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, the multinational family. It's already real, already true now. But in eternity, we will celebrate that with so much praise and awe and love. You know, that's where nations or missions starts. Abraham's children, like Abraham's son Jesus, have to think and pray and dream multinationally. You must not be race-obsessed, Nationally obsessed, but globally obsessed. I must not think of myself first as Canadian or Dutch or Scottish or Jewish or Chinese or as a Zechveld, but as Abraham's child and a member of Abraham's all-nations family established by God's covenant. And I'm far closer to a Christian way over in China whom I don't know than to a non-Christian in my own family relationally, spiritually it's what it is to be a believer and a member of Abram's multinational family and then when we think about the war right now in the Middle East I'm concerned for the nation of Israel and their rights to defend themselves a people that need a homeland I'm concerned for Palestinian civilians who get caught in the crossfire. But most of all, I'm concerned for my family members who live there. Gaza Baptist Church, downtown Gaza. Christians with nowhere to go. Churches in the north part of the Gaza Strip. Grace and Truth Congregation in Gedera. Israel 182,000 other Christians living in Israel that's my first worry that's what it is to think multinationally that's my first worry and that's my first prayer that God would somehow use this terror and this horror to drop people to their knees whether they're Israeli or Arabs and seek Jesus Christ because the number of Christians there is very very low And this multinational Jew named Jesus said just before he lifted off from the earth to heaven, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And that's what we see thirdly. The multinational man named Jesus sent his church out to be a fruitful people, making disciples of all nations. Do you hear the sounds of the Great Commission? Both the cultural mandate and the Great Commission? In verses 5 and 6 of Genesis 17, let me read those again. Genesis 17, 5 and 6. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful... Sounds like the cultural mandate. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And I will make you into nations. Oh, wait. This is a fruitfulness that goes beyond biology to spirituality. Great commission. Those are conjoined here in this call, or this promise, actually, to Abraham. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations, and kings will come from you. Not only a biological fruitfulness, but a missional fruitfulness. Not only the cultural mandate, but the great commission. Join together with it. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. That's a promise. And it means, Abraham, that your children will spread out to the east and the west and the north and the south. And as we read in Genesis 22, your offspring will possess the gate of his enemies. That's Jesus. And then in him, his people will possess the gate of his enemies. So the powers of other cities and nations, your offspring, Jesus, is going to go there and win them. Conquer them. Make them his own through the gospel. Abraham's children, in the child Jesus, are his witnesses, God's witnesses to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that already started in the Old Testament. Think of Naomi. Not this one. I want to think of a different Naomi for a second. A missionary, one of Abraham's missionary children named Naomi. Naomi. Naomi was in a very tough spot. So tough she changed her name to Mara, which means bitter. Bitter, I'm bitter. The Lord Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. She and her husband had wandered away from God and looked for life in the land of Moab during the days of the judges. They and their two sons moved to Moab, outside of the covenant, and then life got really messy. Their sons married pagan women. The dad, Elimelech, died. And now there's just Naomi left with two pagan daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. What are you going to do in that situation? Naomi? Naomi? And she's in some way such a poor evangelist Such a poor missionary. She she decides she's going to go back to the promised land. And when Ruth and Orpah want to go with her, she says, no, no, no. You go back to your land and your gods. Really? How could she do that? Every hope, Naomi, every eternal hope in life and in death are found in your God. God. So Orpah leaves and goes back to her pagan ways, but Ruth doesn't. She won't. Why not? Why won't Ruth go back? She wants Naomi's people and Naomi's God. Then we realize, wait, Naomi has been doing a little bit of missionary work, even in the midst of all her weakness Right? In all the lack, of failing, she has been a good evangelist. And whatever Ruth has heard about and seen her mother-in-law makes her desperately want Naomi's God, Abraham's God. And so this Gentile woman named Ruth comes to faith and joins God's multinational household through the witness of one of Abraham's children. Well, she might not be the best evangelist, but the Lord used her. But you know what she did exceptionally well with? And that's sometimes where we do even more poorly in evangelism. Reaching out and then enfolding, bringing in can be the hard part. What do I do with you now? She takes Ruth into her home. Cares for her as her own family member introduces her, settles her into the life of Israel, and that's where she flourishes. Jesus, thank you for your missionary children, for Abraham's missionary children, even before you came and did your work in the flesh through women like Naomi. Well, may God make this Naomi fruitful as well. Fruitful as an evangelist, as a missionary and all of us, let's not live against our covenant identity. Isolated from the people of the world, obsessed with our own small, comfortable circle of family and friends. Scared to reach out, scared to think neighborly and globally. No, no, no. Let's think generationally Let's think missionally because that's covenantal. That's covenantal. That's what it means to be a child of Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's trust that in Jesus, who died and rose, the promise, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, that promise is ours too. Let's bank on that promise. Let's witness in that promise. When we plant the seed, God will bring about a harvest of souls, the harvest of nations. The Lord our God shall bless us, our God shall blessings send, and all the earth shall fear him to its remotest end. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you for your marvelous established with Abraham and his descendants. Also, spiritual descendants to the ends of the earth. And we may be part of that family through faith in Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to think generationally and to think missionally. And to live that way too. Even as Christ, crucified and risen from the dead, has called us not only to raise our children in the fear of the Lord, and the fear of Jesus' name, but to go and make disciples of all nations. In his name we pray, amen.